Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, it's Eric from the Preacher Boys Podcast. I'm so excited to start doing these solo episodes, kind of answering some of the questions that I'm getting pretty commonly uh, from all of you. Thank you so much for the support of the show. We just hit 70,000 downloads, which is amazing, and couldn't have done it without you guys. And I'm so excited to see all these stories getting uh, to make their way around the world, uh, people's voices being heard many times for the first time. And so I'm so thankful to you, so thankful to all the brave survivors who have come on the show and shared their story, and I'm excited to see what's going to happen here in the future of the Preacher Boys podcast. Now, I have a couple questions I'm going to work through that you guys have asked. Um, I had a question thread in the Preacher Boys official discussion group, which if you're not in already, you should be. That's where a lot of the best conversations are taking place, even outside the show. Um, but here's a couple questions that were asked, and I'm going to go ahead and answer those for you guys. Excuse my uh, quarantine hair. It doesn't look very good, but hopefully I can get through these questions pretty well. So first one is from Lydia Joy Launderville. She says, with talking to survivors, do you see any patterns in abuse stories or the overall culture in the IFB? Uh, she said, in her case, it's a big yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the show is kind of birthed out of the idea that this is something that there are patterns and kind of... You know, uh, someone critiqued the word, but there are systemic things that happen over and over again. And I think a, a lot of the reason for that is that these guys are either friends with, partnered with, or influenced by um, other abusers. And so um, I, I just had Dr. Uh, Kelly Palfi on the show who talked about why men don't report. And she makes note of the fact that abusers tend to work communally, especially when it comes to uh, especially when it comes to pedophiles, they have um, ways to communicate online. They have code words with each other. Like it's very common to connect, and you see that in the IFP world as well. You see pastors connecting with each other who are abusers. You see guys like Bruce Goddard cycling guy after guy who's been an abuser. You see um, 
guys like Jack Hiles connected with person after person, even his own son. So yeah, there's a lot of similarities in the stories. Um, and even past the similarities of the types of predators, um, it seems like there's a lot of similarities in the side of the survivor. And when it comes to the idea of healing from trauma, uh, one of the most common things I see that's helpful is the sense of community. And I'm really excited that the Preacher Boys podcast has led to uh, one of those communities being built, which is awesome, seeing people connect there. But um, yeah, people getting in uh, like-minded groups, uh, forums, survivor groups, obviously therapy is a huge thing, but just being able to talk openly about abuse is uh, really important to people, and I'm seeing that as a common thread. Marivette Torres, I hope you're saying your first name right. My last name is Skorzynski, so I understand. Um, she said, what are you doing to protect yourself emotionally as you navigate all these stories? I'll go ahead and answer that really quick. Um, I'm Same thing, community is really important to me. Uh, getting able to talk to you guys is really helpful. Um, and then just knowing when to step away from all of it. Um, and you know, scheduling out my interviews a little bit far apart from each other so I'm not getting back-to-back -back stories um, that maybe you know, traumatic to even listen to in here. So uh, that's been huge. And then also um, Dr. Claire Horner, I had her on the show. She's a, a therapist. Um, she actually just invited me to a community of um, trauma therapists. And um, I got to do the first call with them. And getting to hear like them talk about, um, you know, kind of their field and the things that they're dealing with and be able to give me some advice. It was super helpful and really encouraging. And then the next question Marivet asks is, what practices have you set up to help you in your journey of holding this platform space for people? Again, just give myself some time, give myself uh, a little bit of community and um, just really trying to pace myself out. Like I've really changed my interview schedule. That was a big thing. Um, so that, that's been huge. And then the last thing, how are you holding up when people tell you you're wrong for doing this? Um, Honestly, when someone who is an IFB pastor or um, someone at an IFB church, I've gotten used to those voices um, speaking out against me in the past anyway. Um, it really doesn't bother me as much anymore. Sometimes it can be very discouraging um, when I see people who, you know, people I do respect or, or love that are in that world still and still decide to come after me and assume motives. But really the only time that um, negative feedback bothers me and I think it should bother me, is when it comes from survivors. And so when I suggest something, when I, um, when I think of something, or when I have an idea, when I um, you know, make a pivot or anything with the podcast, um, if there's ever something that survivors feel that I'm you know, misstepped or said something wrong, um, I do take that to heart and that does tend to affect me. But I mean, I'm not speaking that negatively. Like It's been really helpful to work through that and I wanna be always conscientious of the way I say things, the way I interview people, um, the level of you know seriousness I bring to what I'm doing, and um, you know I appreciate you guys the the counterbalance of just constantly bringing up things that maybe I'm not normally thinking of. Um, that's really helpful. Mike Figarelli says I'd like to hear what sort of responses you're getting, positive and negative, and what made you leave the IFB. So I'll cover the first part of that. So um, the responses have actually been generally very positive, even from people who I know within the IFB world. That's uh, been pretty positive. Um, obviously, those who are you know, specifically mentioned tend to block uh, the social media accounts and things. Um, and I've gotten a couple messages, you know, what's wrong with you? Why do you hate the church? That kind of thing. But for the most part, it's been very positive. And I think a lot of that actually has probably just been where I look. I don't tend to look for the negative um, feedback too much because that can... Um, drag down what I'm trying to do. What made me leave? I actually covered this in an episode of the podcast. I hate to be that guy, but um, I actually covered this in uh, another Ask Eric episode. I'll drop a link in the comments. Uh, that way, um, that way you can see that. 
Okay, Stephanie, uh, Stephanie says, having left the movement as such, a lot of friends with it. Uh, with whom do you talk out held trauma and how do you find people to understand being in a partnership with marriage with someone who didn't have the same upbringing? Do you try to explain to give context? Do you ever lose that sinking feeling in the gut when you register the disgust and shock from someone else after you try to explain the abusive aspects of the IFP movement? So, um, yeah, I talk to my wife quite a bit. Um, there's also survivors I talk to um, periodically um, and to, to some close friends. Um, I have a very close friend that um, is from that same world, you know, didn't experience abuse, but um, they understand it, so I can actually have, like, a conversation about it. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I really um, talked to my wife quite a bit, um, and um, she she didn't grow up in it, but she did attend in the same high school as me, so she is familiar with, like, the vocabulary, the you know, some of the weird teachings, and she knew me during that time when I was in it, and so I'm able to kind of break down some of the situations that, um, you know, I feel guilty for or break down, um, you know, some of the thought processes, like, um, you know, that maybe were negative when I was growing up, and so um, she's been really huge in helping me with that kind of stuff, um, and then just having friends who understand that world and can at least talk about it. Um, I don't spend... Yeah, I, I would just say I spend time talking to people who do understand that world. Um, and then people who don't, you know, sometimes I'll bring up a little bit, but um, I just, it doesn't usually come up in conversation. Um, outside the show, like, I do talk about this quite a bit. I do spend a good chunk of my life doing this. Um, but I try to pick and choose when I dive into a, like, very heavy conversation about this. Um, and going deeper into, like, who do I talk to about abuse, um, like I was molested by someone um, when I was much younger. Um, it was not associated with the IFP. Like I can't like point a finger and be like, oh, because of this church or whatever. Like um, it was kind of a, I mean, a freak situation. Um, and so like that's something like nobody would really understand because um, it's just the personal, you know, like I'm still working through what I feel about all of that. Um, and so... You know, talking to my wife about that, and then honestly bringing on experts on the show, um, being able to talk to people who've dealt with trauma or um, abuse has been really helpful. Um, I know, again, I'll name drop Dr. Horner, um, Claire Horner. Um, she actually gave me like one or two pieces of wisdom regarding um, overcoming trauma that was like game changer for me and uh, led to a pretty big conversation with my wife after that, just about like me working through and processing um, how I was affected by that incident. And just for context about what happened with me, because I know I'm being vague, um, it was somebody that we picked up for church. It was, um, I, I know now that they are special needs, uh, but they were a much, much older person. And um, essentially, uh, I was left alone in the back seat of, of my parents' car, uh, with him and there was, um, yeah, he just went too far, uh, with touching with, um, it was inappropriate. And the biggest struggle with that situation is that, um, I was not at an age, I was prepubescent when it happened. I was probably second, maybe third grade. And so I was not sexually aware at all. I just knew I was really uncomfortable and I knew that he was touching me in places that, I was not supposed to be touched. And so um, it was a hard situation to explain. And, you know, looking back now, I probably didn't explain it the right way where people took action. Um, and now, you know, there's an added layer of like now knowing that he wasn't 100% there, um, it, it's difficult to process that because it's not someone that 
I mean, I know who he is. I've seen him pretty recently. Um, but there really is never going to be closure as far as, you know, pursuing that. Um, and so that's a pretty difficult thing to deal with. But that's something, you know, talking to a professional about it even shortly has been really helpful and helped me kind of piece together some of that um, experience. Um, let's see. Um, how do you deal with the guilt or the fear of what if something bad happens to me and my family because we left or fearing that God might punish you if you leave? Um, I've always heard about families that have left used as examples of tragedy in their life. My brain knows it doesn't work like that, but that what if fear still lingers. Um, that's a really good question. Uh, this is from Cynthia. Cynthia, that's a great question. And honestly, uh, my experience is really different. I can't speak to that. Um, I, a large part of what eventually, like initially I was just bitter and just went out of church. Um, but then I began attending another church in Fresno. It's fresnochurch.com if you want to check out what church it was. Uh, and while I was there, I really started studying um, God's Word and, um, you know, really trying to dissect my faith. I call it kicking out the floorboards of my religion, like trying to pinpoint what had been taught to me that I did see as truth and what um, had been taught that I saw as like man's opinion and um, actually what led to me finally deciding like not to attend IFB churches was a lot of the theological side and so um, I felt as though um, there were a lot of issues within the IFB that you know just weren't coherent with my faith at that point. And so um, I didn't really feel a sense of guilt. I felt like God led me in a different direction, uh, if that makes sense. This one, okay, so this is the last one here. This is from April. Um, she says, what are some dreams or hopes for the podcast down the road? Um, I mean, this is a great question. And honestly, um, so initially this project started as just a documentary. Like I was going to work on a documentary about the IFB. My background's videography. I've worked on documentaries before. Um, it was going to be just a documentary charting out um, the course of the IFB, the way abuse abusers are shuffled around churches and things. Um, but it's really morphed. Um, right when I released the proof of concept trailer for the documentary, um, I had tons and tons and tons of messages from um, you guys, pretty much, um, just from people saying, here's my story, this is this. And it became very apparent that um, there was too many stories to fit into any kind of cohesive narrative. And so I decided to let everyone show their story in the form of a podcast. So the podcast was kind of an afterthought and is now really um, become like a full-time job for me, um, putting together this show. And so um, the goal is to keep the podcast going as long as there's stories out there. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to keep scaling that in a way that makes sense for me and my family, my my business, and things like that. Um, the documentary is still going. Um, the big question really right now is when all this COVID stuff is going to completely clear up so I can start traveling for the documentary. Uh, so I have to start worrying about some more of the funding side of that. Um, and then the goal is still to release early 2021. Um, I'm hoping, I mean, I'm, I'm getting more and more nervous to say this. I'm hoping by March uh, 2021, I can be able to have the documentary ready to go. Um, but the big goal I haven't really talked about is um, just taking this project and getting it in front of more eyes through, um, you know, conferences and hopefully... Um, raising some more awareness of what's going on. Um, I'm just trying to figure out what that looks like. Um, and then also, um, once I get a lot more episodes and interviews done, um, I also want to take some of these stories and put them into a book format um, and just, you know, figure out a way to um, 
what I'm thinking right now is having a survivor share their story, having one of the specialists come on, like a, a trauma specialist or someone like that, law enforcement, come in, look at the story, and give some key takeaways. Um, I really don't want to be like the, like the, like I don't know, not the author, but the um, like the guiding narration through the book. Um, I'd like to really get some experts in because again, I'm not an expert. I'm just someone with a with a little bit of knowledge of cameras and microphones um, that just decided to do this. So I want to completely pivot into getting more specialists on to um, be able to talk about these issues. So. Um, that's the goal. I mean, the goal right now is just to get that documentary moving. Um, I've got it kind of laid out how I'm going to structure the story and how I'm going to do it. Um, and now really diving into YouTube, like doing videos even like this, um, I'm sure there'll be more like series and things that I'll probably try to do. Um, that's the big thing right now is the big, the big question is how to distribute the documentary. Um, I try to do everything, you know, where it's little to no cost for people who want to consume the content, especially with this. Um, but I also want to give it a level of credibility. So I've thought about releasing on YouTube for free, um, but my only problem is then it doesn't have the credibility. It's super dumb, but it's just how people think, and it's how I know it'll get attacked. It doesn't have the same credibility as if I do try to pursue putting it out through like a Netflix or Amazon Prime or something like that, or have a you know a physical copy of it. But um, you know I do want to do something that doesn't put a huge paywall um, in front of this important information. So just be you know, if you're a believer, be praying about that and how that'll work. Um, you know, and if you know anything or if anybody has any advice or suggestions or what you'd want to see, um, definitely let me know. Um, cause I would love to, you know, I, I, I want to do something that's right for everybody. Uh, one last thing, just to wrap up this episode, all I want to say is I do want to keep doing these question episodes, um, where I kind of answer some of the questions you guys have. So I want to give you guys a number you can call um, don't worry. I know I hate talking on the phone too. It just gives you a chance to leave a voicemail. So all you have to do is dial the number 702-518-4172. So 702-518-4172. That number goes straight to a voicemail. You don't have to worry about talking to someone on the phone. You can leave any question, comment, anything about the IFB within my inbox and I'll address it on the show. I just want to make that available to you guys. So be sure to check that out. Thank you so much for watching, listening, however you're consuming this podcast. I really appreciate the support. Be sure to share this with someone that it will be valuable to, whether they're in the IFB or not. I really hope this show continues to impact and influence more people and helps get survivors' voices out there. It's really important. So thank you for watching. You guys have a good day. I'll see you on the next interview episode. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.